0: Welcome to the Inspirational Australians podcast, where we chat to people making a difference in their communities and in the lives of others. And here is your host for today, Jeff
1: Griffin. Welcome to the Inspirational Australians podcast, stories of inspiring achievements and community contribution. Every week, we will celebrate an award program category winner or finalist. We hope you'll be inspired and encouraged to know that Australia is in good hands. Together with our corporate partners and not-for-profit partners, Awards Australia showcase ordinary people from right across Australia doing extraordinary things. If you enjoy hearing the stories of our inspirational Australians, please subscribe, rate us and review us. We'd really appreciate it. My guest today is passionate about giving young people a more equitable education through access to free textbooks, which is why he founded Thrive Ed. He's also the general manager at Ignite Mentoring and was a volunteer with Rotary Club of Crawley. In recognition of the significant community contribution he makes, and at just 20 years of age, Jack Anderson was chosen as a finalist in this year's Masonic Care WA and Freemasons WA Community Service and Volunteering Award, which is part, of course, of the Seven News Young Achiever Awards. It's such an honour to have you on the podcast today. Jack, welcome. Thank you for having me, Jeff. I think the honour is really mine.
0: I'm super excited to be a part of just a community of people who do such great things and to be able to kind of share my story and my lessons, I think is, um, it's going to be really awesome.
1: Fantastic. A quick question. Have you joined the alumni yet?
0: Yes, I have. I've yeah. been following the Facebook page and it's uh, Fantastic. awesome.
1: Yeah, no, that's great. Jack, you've done so much already in your life and I want to unpack some of it, starting with ThriveEd. It's really quite fascinating. Can you tell us how ThriveEd came about?
0: Yeah, of course. I think for those of the people listening who don't know what ThriveEd is, which would probably be a large majority, so ThriveEd is a organisation that has existed for a year and a half now. Basically, what we do is we author year 12 textbooks for mostly the sciences. They're really complicated and I hope to really dive into that. But I guess it kind of started a year and a half ago in November of 2019. So I was in my first year of uni just finishing up and I was doing lots of tutoring all through kind of like out my week. I'd be tutoring these students and they'd be getting really great results. And I was really enjoying the process. Deep down when I was tutoring these students, I was really kind of frustrated by the fact that there were thousands of students out there who weren't receiving the same level of support because I couldn't help everyone and nor is there enough tutors to help everyone. So I kind of came up with this idea of what if we wrote a textbook that combined all of the past student experiences to create this like really amazing piece of work that hypothetically any student could work through. And if they were willing to put in the work and dedicate themselves to it, then they could get 100% in that subject. This was kind of a really crazy concept at the time because there was no curriculum-based textbooks that had been written by 19-year-olds. I kind of just thought about it and said, just screw it, let's go for it. So what kind of came next was me calling up a bunch of friends, pitching them to like the idea, and a few of them said yes, a few of them said no. We started with a team of five very ambitious individuals, fresh out of kind of year 12. So we really knew the textbooks pretty well. I guess when we first started, something that fundamentally annoyed us about all the textbooks, when you're going through a subject, usually a lot of the students use three, four, or maybe even five textbooks per subject because they're all specialty textbooks. And they all generally just do a poor job of the thing that they're focused on anyway. So we asked ourselves, what if we wrote a textbook that combined everything that all the other textbooks did and did everything better that they were focused on? So it was about creating the first ever all-inclusive textbook, Extremely ambitious, but we went with it. Over the course of a year and a half, going through hundreds of redrafts to get to a final copy, we finally published our first Chemistry Unit 3 textbook, which was 336 pages and then another 200 pages of online answers. In 2021, in the last six months, we've signed on three schools this year and they had to make the decision to sign on our book with only seeing one chapter so it was a really big commitment by them because we hadn't finished much early in the stages and then what came after that after we published our first chemistry textbook was we needed to finish chemistry and write the unit four textbook so we had the mammoth task of writing a second chemistry textbook in four months which was just insane to comprehend so we brought on seven new writers and proceeded to write that textbook over the course of four months, we expect it to arrive in the next couple of days for all the students to use, which is just really exciting. In terms of where we are now, we move pretty quickly and we now have another 20. So we have 25 writers in total and we have the crazy new goal of writing two maths methods textbooks and two physics textbooks in the next five months. It's yet another challenge that we're focused on, but we're really going to give it a good crack.
1: Right, bold, bold, bold. That's, I, mean, <laughs> I love the story. We hear it around the country with young people who just get this idea and they want to go with it and they just have this passion. The problem is as you get older, I think, you start to think about all things that could go wrong or that won't work and we put things off. You know, we think about things or we want to perfect them or whatever it is, we find excuses. And I love that you had this passion, this idea, and you decided to go with it and not only did you go with it, you've made it happen and super quick and now, even more super quick. So, that's pretty cool. Um, it doesn't sound like a very easy journey to me. What does the journey of writing textbooks look like? You now, I guess you just gave us some brief understanding of it, but what's involved? Because surely you must get approvals to put this into the curriculum or whatever it is. It sounds very complex.
0: Yeah, I'm going to try and probably break down a lot of what you said. I think that's a really great question. I guess the first one I want to talk about. I think this might be of great use to a lot of the listeners is when you're coming up with an idea that's as crazy as writing a textbook at 19 years old, you can choose to look at it in two ways, I guess. You can either look at it in what people have done in the past, how it's been traditionally done and the reasons why you can't do something. Or you can kind of look at the problem and say, hey, what are like the fundamental truths that go into writing something as complicated as a textbook? You say, can I do each of those aspects? And if you can, you go for the idea, which is kind of what we took into going in this journey. We are the first young people to write curriculum-based textbooks. There was so much doubt going into this and a lot of people never really caught on to what we were doing. We had faced extreme rejections from so many schools, but they are now knocking back on our door. So I guess that's one for the listeners is just really look at things and believe in yourself rather than what other people think at the end of the day. In terms of what goes into actually writing a textbook, I think writing any textbook is never really any easy feat, whether it's a study guide, whether it's an exam book or whether it's a content book. They're all extremely complicated and have a lot of intricacies. The even crazier part about what we did is just how unprecedented our format is in terms of the scale at which we were trying to pull off. Our chemistry textbooks between the two are 1,000 pages in total which is, I think, pretty unprecedented for a year 12 textbook. It would have to be probably the biggest textbook out there for year 12. These books have 280 pages of questions and almost 500 pages of answers on top of great content. On top of just the scale of it, everything in our books challenges what has been done by the status quo and what it means to be a textbook. From writing with an informal student-to-student voice to completely restructuring question sets and reshaping how they've been done to having 15 fictional characters in our problem sets and writing a novel inside the book so that our problem sets follow 15 characters on their journey through chemistry. Everything that we did kind of challenged what had been done in the past. That made it extremely difficult because with innovation, when you're trying to come up with something new that's never been done before, it comes with a lot of trial and error. So we had these giant textbooks with everything being different to what's been done in the past We just went through so many redrafts. It's really difficult for me to capture the amount of work we put in, especially in the first year and a half. But for instance, our first chapter, we did over a hundred redrafts and it took us four months of working every single day just to get that one chapter right and to really understand what we were trying to do. I think we were very lucky because our team was never a team of thinkers. We're more of a team of doers. We just really kind of are good at putting our bums in our chairs and just sitting there seven days a week, every single day, and just continually working on it page by page and combining it all together. We were never really naturally gifted writers, nor are we the smartest kids in the state. We were just people who just really believed in what we were doing and really put in the hours on a daily basis. I remember we started recording our hours in the first two months in the Christmas and. January period and we were just clocking insane hours and we just realized at that point that there was just no point of keeping track we just kind of just went with it hopefully the listeners can kind of understand that businesses are generally a lot more complicated than they look you don't really know what you're getting yourself into until you do it but I think the benefit is is once you start and once you really start working on it on a day-by-day process you get so stuck into it that there's just really no option to quit no matter how much work it ends up becoming
1: Amazing and uh, just that tenacity to keep going and driving yourself towards the the end goal is so important. And I think your purpose, your why, is really critical as well and I'm sure that's made a significant value add for you you all to keep going and to reach these targets of four months (laughs) or a book, that is unheard of and absolutely wild. So I commend you on that. It sounds, I've got a headache just thinking about what would be involved and how much work you've contributed. Now, you mentioned that you're not necessarily all the smartest in what's going around, but I have to imagine if you could write your own exams and you'd probably do quite well. Shame it wasn't in years It's well, we did it. Just shaking. How many textbooks have you produced and how many more are coming? Are they digital and hard copy? Looking back on what we've spoken on so far, I think
0: I've missed one fundamental part of our organisation, which is we do have a two-for-one model. So for every two textbooks we sell, we use the proceeds from those sales to produce a third textbook and that textbook goes into a low socioeconomic school. It goes into their libraries so that the students at those schools can hire those out every single year and not suffer the burden of buying textbooks each year. In terms of kind of where we're like headed and the number of textbooks, we do have digital copies that we are working with Campion to currently set up, which is really exciting. So every textbook is going to come with a digital copy. We are a very ambitious group of people, and I think we only really have one definitive goal at the end of the day. We have this idea that we want to have 12 established textbooks in the next two years. So that's across maths methods, uh, chemistry, physics, maths specialists, maths applications and English big heavy hitting subjects that really have kind of lacked good quality textbooks for decades. Yeah. We're hoping to make a stamp on that in terms of impact. I'm a big fan of the idea, but the results comes a long time after your hard work. You can put in hard work for a long time and you'll find that the result is very delayed. It's a very exciting prospect, but I think the scale at which we're going to have impact is beyond my comprehension at this point, what we are potentially looking at and what we expect Is for chemistry, we sold 400 copies this year, which was fantastic. And then next year, we're expecting to sell about 2,000 copies. And then every following year, as new year 12 students come in, we're hoping to get that number closer to the 5,000 mark for chemistry, which is the number of students in WA. There's also the potential to go to Queensland and a few other eastern states who have aligned syllabuses. In regards to our other textbooks as well, we're hoping they're going to have the exact same kind of trend start small grow big once we're established in the market because it is a big say to say, hey, you 20-year-olds, we're going to buy your books and let our students learn the entire year's worth of content through you instead of some 50-year-old person who's been teaching the course for 30 years and has a much better understanding of it. The scale of it is going to be crazy and the number of textbooks we're going to donate, I know next year we get to donate about 600 of each chemistry textbook, which is just going to be awesome. I'll never really get to see the impact that will have. Every other year, it's just going to keep on growing, I think, which is just really exciting and it's what keeps us going every single day is this idea of what it could
1: become. Yeah, making such a real difference, giving people an opportunity, as you say, beyond even your comprehension of how that may impact their future forever. You know, so it's not just for Year 12, it's not just for that subject, it's for life, how that may assist their confidence, assist their employment everything in fact so all power to you and your team how do you get accreditation as an education department thing that you have to liaise with or you know just how does
0: that all work you can either look at the things that like might stop you or the things that you can just fundamentally know about textbooks and then go with it so when we started accreditation never really crossed our minds but then it seemed every second person was asking us about how are we going to get these accredited and the funny thing is is there's no accreditation process behind textbooks I've thought about this for a while as to why that is. And I think a general rule of thumb is that if you're setting out to write a textbook, then you should really be able to read the syllabus that the state provides for a subject. It's the decision of schools as to what textbooks they're going to use every single year. So if your textbook is missing things, if things are wrong, then you're not going to have a great deal of success anyway. So it's in the interest of the author to make sure that these books are aligned with the syllabus and are aligned with what year 12 students need. In terms of how we keep ourselves in check, we usually have one teacher helping us to edit each of the books because we understand that we do not know everything that there needs to be. So for the chemistry books, we had a teacher called Neil Rumble and he's taught chemistry for over 40 years and he was just fantastic at tearing the book to shreds for us and telling us what we needed to get right. But yeah, there's no real accreditation process to it, which is funny. But yeah, when you're setting out to do a textbook, you've read it that many times that you'd hope it's right by the time you get to a final draft.
1: Yeah, and I think the thing that stands out to me is that you are relating directly to other young people. No disrespect to academics and they're amazing. We work with Curtin University Mm on one of our programs and they are extraordinary through the Faculty of Education. But Young people can relate very directly, I think, with other young people and how you translate and communicate through your textbooks. So I think there's something to be said for that. And I, you know, if I guess if I was a headmaster or in charge of a syllabus or a you know, faculty or whatever it is, I'd be looking very carefully and closely at what you've got to offer because it is very real and relevant to young people, I think. So, what you, you've talked to us about, what some of your goals and expectations are, and you're right because. Things for small business and growth are exponential, and it is related to awareness, to credibility, and of course, growth in the market for what you're doing. So it will take time, but I, I love that you've got goals and you've got expectations. Are there any? What are your other future plans for Thrive Ed? Do you see an extension of maths and chemistry, or is that your major focus?
0: I guess the reason we focus on the sciences and the maths is because it's definitely something where students have struggled forever. It's something where it's always a subject where some kids get it, most don't. And the textbooks that they have are not there to cater to help students who don't get it. That is kind of the reason that we stay in the world of STEM currently. In terms of the future plans, we always kind of, between the five founding members, we're all extremely ambitious. So we come to each other with new ideas every second like week and they're big ideas, so we kind of contemplate them, we give them a crack and we stick to the ones that we think are right. Something I've found is like I can never really predict what the future is going to be for this organisation. It seems that every single time I have a plan, it just goes another way. So I just keep working on a daily basis as hard as I can and as long as everyone else is working on a daily basis as hard as they can, we're on the right direction. In terms of kind of like one fundamental focus and it's a reality for us is we're an organization run by students and to upskill people to the point where they're able to innovate and lead and come up with textbooks that are of the level that I know them to be and that the founding members know it to be is an extremely hard thing. We're hoping over the next two years to be able to create it to be something that we can eventually pass off because obviously we do this all for free and it's probably not sustainable for me to write for the rest of my life for free at the end of the day even if the organization does collapse i think the one thing that we've always said is we're just going to put all the textbooks out there for free online hopefully in the next two years we will be very established so students will be like hell yeah i will just use these textbooks for free they'll all be downloadable pdfs and if it's saving paper at the end of the day i'm not really complaining and it served a great purpose as long as we have the products out there it's up to the students to use them. So irrespective of what happens with the organisation, I know that the impact is going to be really big.
1: Yeah, well, it certainly sounds like it. It's (laughs) a massive undertaking and you guys are extraordinary. So congratulations on uh, first coming up with the idea, (laughs) but then actually the hard part is putting into practice and then making it grow so fast, which you've done, and I commend you on that as did the... um, of course, in selecting you as a finalist. So well done to you. Jack. you're also General Manager at Ignite Mentoring, and I know there are a lot of synergies to what Thrive Ed is about. Tell us about Ignite and your role there.
0: Ignite has a very special place in my heart. I've been with Ignite for three years now, and I kind of have moved my way up through the organisation as I've just come to love what we do. Ignite is a university run organization. We have over 170 volunteers every semester, and these are mostly university and tertiary educated students, so kind of like 18 to 25, I'd probably say. And what we do is we go into low socioeconomic schools where the students usually come from more disadvantaged backgrounds, and we run nine week programs. Every single week, our mentors and coordinators go into these schools, into these classrooms. To teach students kind of the fundamental soft skills such as teamwork, leadership, public speaking, morals and critical thinking. All of these are really important skills that they may not have been exposed to yet. We try and use really fun and engaging activities to expose them to these really cool new concepts that they can then go on and work to improve. Kind of like our second outcome of our programs is to like help build student self-confidence. So in the classroom, we're being super supportive, extremely positive for the students and just being good role models for them so that hopefully they can kind of see a greater level beyond themselves and hopefully work towards new and greater heights. One final thing we do is we run excursions to uh, UWA every semester. These are completely funded by Ignite and we take approximately 100 students to UWA and we run activities all day and we have a careers fair at the end and it's all about immersing the students in what the future could look like for them, whether it's university, whether it's TAFE, or whatever that may look like, we kind of just show them what's possible and what's out there for them and get them thinking about those things. In terms of like what my role is as the GM, my main focus is just on managing the team managers and the leadership team. So we have about 25 people in our executive and leadership team, and we're all really focused on making sure that Ignite runs successfully every single semester. It's a very giant workload to manage between the programs, to getting fundraising, to the marketing, to managing volunteers and just our operations. So all of these teams and team members play a fundamental part in our organisation. So I'm just very focused on providing an environment that facilitates their good work and I try and help them wherever I can, make sure things are going smoothly and just to help with the direction of Ignite in general and make sure that everything's going the way that it's meant to go.
1: Fantastic. And I believe it's your 10-year anniversary this year. Have you got big plans for that or what's going on for that?
0: Yeah, so Ignite was founded 10 years ago and it's just fantastic to see how far it's come. Yeah, we do have a cocktail night that we're currently working on. It's on Friday, August 20th. So we've been working really hard to that to bring together all of our past volunteers and just any of the community members to celebrate something that has had such an insane level of impact That again. You never really get to see, we're introducing these concepts such as public speaking, teamwork, and a lot of these things the students have never really experienced before. They have cross collaborations with classmates that they've never been with before. And we know that it forms these bonds and these ideas in the students' brains that then go on to turn them into some really powerful individuals. So we haven't really had a moment to celebrate it over this last 10 years. And we do want to bring everyone together to just celebrate something that was started by a few people and has grown into something that is just ginormous.
1: It's so important as well. It's really critical what you do. So that's amazing. And I think you're right, celebrating. Sometimes we forget and don't appreciate just what we've done unless you reflect back. It's hard sometimes to have the time and energy to actually reflect back and say, yeah, you know what? This has been pretty cool. What we do is pretty amazing. I uh, I know at Awards Australia we're so proud that we get to tell people that may not have known about stories like yours or Ignite, they may never have found out about Thrive Ed. To expose that, to tell the community about it, gives us such pride, and we feel so privileged to have that opportunity to tell these stories because they're amazing. What you do is extraordinary, Thrive Ed and Ignite. Are both powerful, massive, massively important things for young people. Congratulations. It does my heart a lot of good to hear those stories. And I remember getting ready for an awards night. We'd been setting up during the day and I was wandering back to my room within the hotel to quickly get changed before we had to do a rehearsal with the finalists, as you probably remember, uh, before we started. And there was a group of people coming in the foyer to check in and they were laughing, they were excited, and one of the girls saying was saying that I'm so nervous, I can't wait for tonight, this is so fantastic. And, uh, and someone else was saying, yeah, like we're so proud of you. And I thought, you know what, sometimes you just forget the value of that recognizing people has and people like yourself don't do it for the accolade or the pat on the back but to get that is so special Uh, and it's so nice particularly when it's not expected to know your work is validated appreciated and acknowledged so well done to you again and at that moment i just thought oh yeah you know it really makes a difference for everybody doesn't matter whether you're a nominee a finalist or a winner you're already important yeah it's crazy to think
0: about the impact that all of this has. I find that the podcast, I listen to it quite often. I try and do one every two weeks or so and I, I look for the nuggets in everyone's talks because I think that it's really cool to bring together people who are, who are making a difference in the community and just to know that there's people out there who really care about the things that you care about and to know that there's such like a diverse amount of work going on is just it's, it's really powerful and it really inspires, I think, everyone, whether you are being someone on the podcast or just listening to it. It has an impact that you can't really comprehend.
1: Yeah, you mentioned you have 170 volunteers. And I know Ignite is volunteer driven. Are all of those 170 volunteers involved in going out to the schools or are there various roles?
0: Yeah, so one of the key principles that I love about Ignite is even if you're the president, if you're the GM, if you're anyone, you have to go do a class every single week. So these run throughout the semester. What you find is you have two classroom coordinators and about seven mentors. So the coordinators are more experienced and they help run the classroom like a teacher. And then the mentors are very much one-on-one with the students chatting amongst themselves. We have training days every semester and it's a great Journey to try and upskill all of these people all at once and get them into the classrooms the very next week. Yeah, everyone's a part of it, uh, and it's everyone's favorite part. Is and it's the reason that we do it. Like, I wouldn't really enjoy my role as much if I wasn't able to go into the classroom every single week and see the impact.
1: Yeah, to find uh, volunteers, they would get a lot out of this as well as probably as much as the students.
0: Yeah, volunteer work is just. I think it's such a powerful thing because. And it does things for you in so many levels that you can only really ever realize in hindsight, you're doing things for free to begin with, which just shows like, if you're doing it, it's something you're probably pretty passionate about. If you can just do it in your spare time and you want to do it, it's really fantastic to have this like way of figuring out what you actually want to do with your life. And I think even beyond that in the classroom, you learn so many things about how to be a good role model for students how to communicate with younger people and how to run a classroom, like something that teachers train for for five years, you're thrown into after five hours of training. So you've got to grow pretty quickly. You've got to learn how to relate to kids and to teach them really important concepts and allow them to engage with really kind of fundamental topics. The amount that you learn, the friends that you make, it's just all such a great journey. So no matter what you get involved with in relation to volunteering, as long as you're enjoying it, it's just there's so many learning benefits that you only just realise when you look back.
1: Yeah, it's, it's absolutely. Spot on. Now, I believe, Jack, you were a, an active member in Rotary Club of Crawley as well. Now, I know your time is so limited because of all the else that you do, but uh, tell us about some of the things that you were doing at the Rotary Club while you were there.
0: I remember when I first joined Rotary, My perception of it wasn't I wasn't quite sure as to what I was getting myself into. I like love the saying that like everyone's pretty old there and it's not really something for young people, but I got involved and I found that there were a few like-minded young people within the organization and everyone there is just so supportive. They are absolute powerhouses there. And you walk out of every meeting ready to take on the world because you just see you, you get to see the pinnacle of Perth and see people who are really taking on social equity challenges and trying to make a more, a, a better world in general. So they threw me in the deep end with a lot of projects that we run. They were never hesitant to kind of give me feedback. They were just fantastic. So I did a few projects. I know I, I led Cans for Christmas, which was a rotary led initiative across about six clubs where we did food drives. And we collected food around the Christmas time. And then that all went to food bank. So we collected about 6,000 kilos of food. And then more recently, I had left Rotary of Crawley, but there was a project that I'd been working on. And that was a gala dinner to raise money for mental health. That was something that was just completely out of my depth and something that I didn't think was possible. And nor did the rest of our young team there, but our president and just some of the most amazing people I've ever met managed to show us how it's possible. And we managed to raise $15,000 for male mental health. And that went to a few different charities that don't receive government support. So we had about 150 people attend on the night and being in the Rotary of Crawley was a fantastic experience. It inspired so many of my ideas. So yeah, anyone looking to get involved in anything I really advise, particularly the Rotary of Crawley, they're fantastic. Otherwise, go to a Rotary Club in your local area. And I think it's such a great place to start and to get inspired.
1: I don't know how you do what you do doing in 24 <laughs> hours a day. It uh, baffles me, that's for sure. And I feel a little bit inadequate so, uh, <laughs> in what I do. So, And that happens every awards night. You feel very <laughs> inadequate. In fact, you go around talking to all the sponsor partners. Predominantly, that's the thing that's always said. What have I done with my life when I was young? You know, well, how do I try to uh, keep pace with some of these young people in terms of what they do? Or I thought I was doing a fair bit, but wow. And, yeah, you are extraordinary. So I really take my hat, my proverbial hat off and say thank you on behalf of everybody for what you're doing, mate. It's extraordinary. Now, if I can go back to when you were nominated for the Seven Years Young Achiever Awards must have given you a sense of pride and validation to know that your work, particularly the work of Thrive Ed and Knight and what you were doing at Rotary, is so highly regarded and viewed as important by the community.
0: Yeah. When I applied for the award, I remember I'd seen it for a few years and I wasn't really sure if I'd have any chance in the award. But I'm a very big fan and it's something I've been always working to adopt is this idea of just giving things a go because you won't ever regret giving something a go. You're just going to regret not doing it. So I wrote the application. I really enjoyed the process of just reflecting on everything I've done because I usually get so caught up in the next thing. Then I became a finalist. Well, I became a semi-finalist and then a finalist. And each time I was more surprised than the next. And then on the night, it was just something that I never really imagined it it could be. I mean, as you said before, you think you're doing a lot and you think that you're really giving life a crack. And then you just see some people who are really pushing the boundaries of human potential and of service above self. I walked away from that night, not even winning the award, which was, well, I think that the guy who won it was super well-deserved. It was just fantastic to see him win. He was truly just insane. But I walked away from that night just Amazed at what everyone has done. I think young entrepreneurs, young business people, young people who want to get involved in non-for-profit workspace, it is again a bit of a lonely journey where you just feel like you're doing so much and you just wonder if there's people out there doing the same amount. You feel a bit crazy sometimes. And then just to go to that night and see that some people are definitely the same as you, yeah, it's indescribable. And I know that next year I'm just going to attend not being a nominee, I just want to go and just absorb what other people are doing and see some of just the crazy things that people do on a year-by-year basis.
1: It is pretty incredible. No are great words and I really encourage you to nominate again. You'd absolutely never know. But, yeah, you are extraordinary and there's so many, as you say, terrific people. And I hadn't really thought about the concept that it's really inspiring to know that there are others that are doing what you do and you're not the only one and that we are in good hands. <laughs> our young people aren't our future they are our now but they will be our future as well but they are inspiring and leading the way now what you're doing and what some and the others are doing are right there at the forefront of achievement for the now and that's really important and it's nice to know that there are so many doing such awesome stuff and a big shout out to ML and Matt at Freemasons mm-hmm. who absolutely love the awards and the synergies with Freemasons of giving back to the community It very much aligns. To what you do, and to why they sponsor the award, so we're very, very fortunate to be able to meet, know, and uh, cherish the things that people like you do, but also to work with partners like them who are equally as committed uh, to. Um, and I've just signed up again for another three years. Yeah, you go Freemasons, and in no part, small part, is that because of the stories of people like yourself that they are so thrilled with. You know, to uh, want to continue fostering young people like yourself and uh, tell their stories. You talked about what you really enjoyed about the awards night. Was there one at Pan Pacific? And was there one highlight for you on the night that you can think of that's probably putting you on the spot? But was there one thing in particular you thought, oh, well, that was amazing or that was impressive?
0: Yeah, it's really hard to pinpoint it to one moment because I think every part of the night was just, each new category was just amazing to see what people had done in their respective areas. There were some speeches that I think brought the crowd to tears a few times and I know that the person in my category, Andrew Bannister, he gave a fantastic speech. I just sat there in admiration and just thought just to see how much, like how hard he'd worked for it, how much this recognition really meant to him. I think it just, it just was a really humbled level across the whole crowd when we all listened to him speak. So it was awesome.
1: Yeah, uh, it was very touching uh, as were all the nomination finalists and nominees across varying different reasons. So, again, well done to you and to everybody else. Well, the award nominations are actually launching again very soon. Would you encourage listeners to nominate someone? Absolutely. As
0: I've kind of emphasised before, whether you think that the person's going to get it or not, I highly recommend nominating a person. Everyone underestimates their own potential, and then when it finally clicks, it clicks. So give it a go. The application is not excessive, and I think it's a very good self-reflecting process either way. I think your friends or whoever you're nominating will appreciate it that you've just even given that form of recognition, whether they win or not, just to show that you do notice the good work that they're doing. I think it is it's it's super worthwhile. And my advice is just attend the awards night. Either way, it's, it's probably one of the most powerful things that I've ever been to. So I would just really advise people to go down, spend the night there, meet some amazing, positive people and learn a lot.
1: Great ad. We didn't pay for that. So the uh, <laughs> bonus, no, thank you. And the people are also terrific at Pan Pacific. They treat you like family, yeah. all of the staff there. So yeah, it's a great idea to make a weekend or a night of it and stay at the Pan Pacific or somewhere in in the city Mm. to uh, really maximise the enjoyment and thrill of the evening. But how do you think the awards can make a difference, a real tangible difference to people who are nominated?
0: It does it in so many different ways. This night is a splash in terms of the effect it has, but there's just so many ripples that follow out from it. Just whether you're a semi-finalist, a finalist, a nominee, or just an attendee on the night, you walk away with new ideas about yourself and you start to kind of consider, you look at what other people have done and you say, maybe I'd like to do something like that. If they've done it, then I can do it. When people actually act on the things that they say that they're going to do, the impact of that, again, as I've reiterated a few times, it's just you can't comprehend it. It just has these ripples that go beyond you. It goes on to the next person who inspires the next person. It's really hard to put into words how much impact something like a night like this can have, but none of us start on our journey and none of us do what we do for recognition. We just really care about the thing that we're trying to tackle, we're passionate about what we do, and just to have, have someone recognise you for something that you, you do in your spare time and you just do because you really care, it makes it all the more worthwhile, I think.
1: And I think for people listening, the purpose of the nomination is exactly... The- Reason that you nominated. It gives exposure and credibility and kudos to your organisations, gets the word out there, and it helps build what you're trying to achieve. Uh, that is, I think, a really important thing, too. Mm-hmm. And if anybody wants to nominate someone or even know more about sponsor partnership opportunities, drop me an email at Jeff at Awards Australia, G E O F F, not J E F F, G E O F F at Awards Australia.com. Or go to our website, at awardsaustralia.com and check out the nomination pages for the various states and programs. And you can also get sponsor information from there as well. So Jack, what's something that we might not know about you?
0: Uh, like I think my approach to life is a bit analytical in the sense that I love to put concepts out there, put out ideas, and then just see what happens. So I'm always trying new things either on a daily or weekly basis, things that I've never done before. And I really enjoy that. And then eventually I find that sometimes things stick. So I think one of them that's really stuck with me and something that's really probably a bit odd is I train um, a lot of Australian Ninja Warrior. So I don't know if you're familiar with the sport. It's like an obstacle racing equivalent kind of thing where it's all flashy cameras and throwing your body around onto all these obstacles. So there's a really great Australian community and I really get around it. I found the sport a year and a half ago thinking, oh, I could do this. I went there and found out it's a lot harder than I thought. And me and one of my best mates have been training uh, there very intensely ever since. So I spend most of my late afternoons training for that. We have like the TV show, obviously, the national finals and the worlds. So there's a whole kind of competitive circuit The thing I think I like love about the sport the most is it's like 50% physical and 50% mental. When you're doing these giant catches or you're facing down these obstacles that you've never seen before, it's very much, you have to believe that you can do it. Otherwise you're not going to do it. And I think that it kind of just translates back to life in a lot of ways, which is you have to believe it before it's going to happen. So I just love the sport, both the physical demand of it and the mental kind of side to it.
1: I think an hour it is both jointly together and if you haven't got one switched on or the other then you're in trouble so it must be on channel 7 because I've I've watched it a few times
0: yeah
1: and if it's not sorry channel 7 oh um, man yeah yeah so <laughs> have you thought when are you going to try out for the tv show
0: yeah um I tried out this year so obviously they add the show recently I got onto the like the final like they get I think it's like 10,000 applicants wow. yeah I got onto the wait list so that I was like on call, ready to go. Uh, Didn't quite make the cut this year, but that's just motivated me more. To I wasn't expecting to get on my first year. Again, that just comes back to that idea of just give things a go because I didn't even think I'd make it through the first round of the interview process, let alone the other 10 that they made us do. So next year, I'm very hopeful to get on and give it a really good crack.
1: Well, mate, we'll be watching. (laughs) Make sure you let us know. We can let the alumni group know and uh, everybody else will. Make sure we get support a fan group going. So, Jake, what's your driving passions that makes you tick?
0: I think passion is a really kind of complicated idea. I think a lot of people think of, like, passion as, like, something where, like, you wake up, once you find your passion on a daily basis, you wake up with a giant smile over your face. There's no doubt. It's just, like, all sunshine and rainbows. But for me, passion is, like, just on a day-by-day basis kind of appreciating the things that I do, being proud of it and being able to see it through even though there's a lot of days when I don't particularly enjoy what I do and I'm demotivated. So that's what passion means to me. In terms of what I'm kind of passionate about, it's something I've really tried to think about for a long time because I have a lot of time to think when I'm riding, obviously. And I think the two things that really kind of drive me is to work as hard as I can to show others what's really possible for them. And the second is to bring others along for the ride as I kind of go up in my life. I love the external ideas of being accountable to others. So I always try my best to bring myself and help other people in every way that I can and to bring people into my ideas and all of these crazy ambitions and say, hey, let's do this. Let's go for it because we both win at the end of the day. Life is just such a circumstantial and complicated journey. And I think if I can kind of help people along the way, and help provide frameworks, whether it be through textbooks, through books, through videos, or whatever I end up doing. I think it all comes back to this idea of just trying to help others and show them what's really possible for themselves. And I find that so motivating, which is why I kind of push myself to be the greatest I can be so that I can show others what they can be.
1: It sounds so good and makes sense to me. And I think your very honest analogy of passion initially there was Spot on, and I think we get caught up in this TV scenario of passion and you know just jumping for joy every second. And as you say, getting waking up and jumping out of bed, and I'm passionate, you know, and it doesn't always work that way. You're right, you're right on it. Can be demoralizing, it can be deflating and depressing sometimes when things don't go the way you plan or you hope because you're so passionate about it. And the passion doesn't have to ooze out of you every second. So you're spot on. It is about what you believe, your purpose, your why, that helps you do what you do. But as you say, there are times when it all gets a little too much where you're feeling low. What do you do to help reset or bounce back during those times?
0: It's another concept that I just think about all the time and I, I test and I try and figure out what works for me because people's misconceptions about what hard work is, I don't believe in the idea that you should work 14, 18 hours a day I find that to sustain a mindset where you can actually see something through to its end, you need to do something that is sustainable for you on a daily basis. I've been like experimenting with like how do I recharge when I overdo things, which I do quite often. Kind of like the idea of like taking holidays or like I don't know, watching movies or going to the beach and stuff. It's all pretty good for me, but I find a lot of the times when I'm doing these kind of things, I'm really just thinking about what I could be doing instead, just doing the things that I love to chase. Obviously, this isn't going to work for everyone, but it's something that I have found just works for me, is as long as every single day I can wake up and be happy with the things that I'm going to do that day, then I don't need to recharge. As long as I'm happy with the number of hours I want to work, the number of hours I want to train on the day, as long as I'm surrounding myself with people and not getting too isolated in all of the writing, I find that I'm pretty good to go every single day. That obviously has its limitations. Sometimes I will just go to the next level with writing or we'll have these really stressful periods and I find that I will have days off, like reset days where I just either reset my life or just do nothing for a day and just hang out with people usually. I recommend for the like the listeners, I think that how people reset is such an individualized thing because we're all so different. So you really need to experiment with what works for you. If taking holidays and, and everything which is what a lot of people like to do works for you then do that it it just depends on like like I unconventionally find that that doesn't work for me but that's just me so do what works for you and and test and fail
1: and test and fail I think that's great advice great Mm. advice indeed I remember when I was young going on a holiday was became very boring after the first couple of days and I was getting itchy feet so it is all relative you're right we had a talk, First National Real Estate, as you know, a very passionate longtime supporter of the program around the country and their CEO, Ray Ellis, came out as so a very good speaker, and he came out to our office and spent a couple of hours with our team talking, I guess, about leadership and stuff and answering questions from the team. And someone asked about work-life balance. What's work-life balance? What's your perfect scenario? And he said, Well, you know what, there's no such thing. Because work-life balance is what it means to you. There's no such rule or or scenario that fits everybody. It is what it is for you if you're passionate about your job, you love it and you're committed to it and you want to work 12 hours a day Mm. and then you want to go home and do whatever. That's work-life balance. If you don't like a job, he said, first thing, get a new one. But, uh, you know, and it's more important for you to do A, B and C at home or as you say, Jack, if you don't like holidays, don't go on holidays. It's not a it's not a formula like you can write in a textbook for work life balance or or passion, you know, it's not it's different for everybody. It made me think when you were talking about it, you're spot on, it is fire experiment, find what works for you. And if someone says you can't work ten hours a day, that may or may not be relevant for you. You may only want to do five or six or seven or whatever it is and whatever makes you happy, whatever you, don't listen to other people. But I think your advice is really invaluable. I think that's like
0: a really good summary of it. And I think fundamentally it just comes back to like being, be bold being yourself. I always used to, when I first started out writing textbooks, I tried to be like everyone else. I'd I'd just like, I'd try and fit in and do the things that other people were doing that I thought you needed to do. And it wasn't sustainable because I was being torn between doing the things that I want to do and doing what other people want me to do. So whatever your life looks like on your terms, whether it's you want to spend as much time as you can building fantastic relationships with other people, or you have a passion that you want to see into its fruition. It's just really about accepting who you are, not worrying about what other people do, accepting what other people do as well. Don't judge people for what they do figuring out what works for you and just going internal rather than looking externally about it.
1: Touche. I agree. So what's next for Jack Anderson?
0: <laughs> I always kind of get worried telling people about like what's next because I said a lot of things that it's hard for even me to comprehend. It's not that I necessarily believe in what's next to me, whether or not it will happen. I just believe in it through the actions I do on a daily basis that's my form of belief, is if you're actually doing the things that you think you need to do to do the thing, then you believe it. You can believe it mentally, but at the end of the day, it comes down to doing the thing that you want to do. There's a few like, big projects, but I think the main focus is like I'm really passionate. Like, obviously, I'm passionate about education in the context of schools. I think that's super important. But something I'm probably more passionate about is education in the context of life. Like, I'm very interested in educating people about the one thing that they are with every single day, which is themselves. I think, as I kind of said before, I think life is just this really complicated and unique journey. And I just want people to have kind of frameworks and things that they can use to live a life that they believe that they were truly made for and live a life that they want to. I'm currently working on another book in my spare time with another friend, which I hope to publish in five months or so. I want to use that book for a bigger goal, which is to create my first independent documentary. So I want to take the concepts in the book that we, we have written and use that to apply it to, a, to create a documentary that can then create a message that reaches a wider audience than people who read books. So it's a project that I've been sitting on for a little while now and it's super complicated, but we've been working pretty hard at it and I'm super excited to see it come into fruition over the next year or so. So I guess, yeah, just stay
1: tuned for it. <laughs> so that's pretty exciting and I, I presume you're writing that book in the hours that you meant to, you know, the three hours that you meant to be sleeping a day. <laughs> uh, so I'm not sure when else you're going to be uh, fitting that in, but that's um, pretty massive. And, you know, I ask you what's next. You've got a lot of what what's next on at the moment. There's a lot of things on your agenda that you're right in the middle of and you're growing, expanding and uh, just doing brilliantly. So, again, congratulations for all that. Do you have any other words of wisdom or encouragement for our listeners? You've really imparted us with so many good things and so much good stuff. Is there anything else you can think of that would be really encouraging?
0: Yeah, I reckon I could talk for the next hour about this kind of stuff. I reckon you could too. (laughs) It's something that I I love. I think wisdom is just, it's kind of whatever you think it to be. I'm not necessarily right. I just say the things I think have worked for me and I guess when you walk away from something like any of these podcasts, it's just important to apply the things that you hear. I'll leave with a few like pieces of advice that I think are pretty important. And the things that I've learned. I guess for it's very valuable for people who are kind of starting their journey and for the listeners who are really just getting going. I think the first kind of fundamental truth that you only realize when you actually do it is you're going you get out of life what you're willing to accept. I love the saying, if you fight hard enough for your limitations, you get to keep them. If you believe you can write no books in a year, you will write no books. If you believe you can write one, you will write one. And if you believe you can write five, you will write five. It really comes back to, I believe that every single day you should force yourself to believe something greater than you are currently so that you grow to become something like then you're greater than in this present moment. So it's really about just believing, dreaming big, and acting on a daily basis towards those dreams because you only really get one goal at life. And there's no real issue with failing. Like, with failing, you just learn. So don't be afraid to be wrong or to fail. Just really set goals for yourself and give it a good crack. I think, on that as well, probably like an equally important concept to understand is like, I talk about these things with such simplicity, but. I think when you're starting anything new, whether it's a book, a documentary, whether you're starting a new sport, whether you're trying to do well academically, whatever it may be, everything that you start is really hard and you just have to have this willingness to suck at it for a really long time before you see any kind of great result. A lot of people trying to skip over the hard parts of their life and the difficult journey that they had to go through to become the person that they are today. So When you're going out and trying new things, whether it's a success or a failure, just understand that every single time you step outside and try something new, you are learning something that others around you will never learn because they were too afraid to take that first step. The number of ideas that I've had that have failed, I can't even count them anymore. But I don't really care because each time I try something, I just get a better idea of what the final idea is going to be. Just enjoy the experience. Enjoy the process. Do things that you really care about and give it a really good crack.
1: A pretty powerful words. <laughs> and fortunately, there is a translation uh, as well as the fact that people can replay the video podcast as well. If they don't pick up all of that while you're driving and you want to jot down some notes, you can get the notes or you can, uh, of course, rewind and listen again, as I'm prone to doing. That's some really powerful words there, mate, really inspiring No wonder you're forging ahead at a rate of knots. How can our listeners connect with you and, of course, your projects online and how do people get involved in what you're doing? So I'm not
0: much of a social media guy. I have Facebook. That's the only one that I really use because, and I I barely spend any time on it. But if you want to connect with me in terms of, like, your own projects or you just want some feedback, just feel free to flick me a message on Facebook uh, just find me. I'm sure I'm somewhere on there. In regards to ThriveEd, if you want to join our team, obviously we're working on physics and methods right now. So if you want to help write these textbooks and be a part of the movement, just feel free to type in ThriveEd on Facebook or www.thriveed.org.au, and you can apply there. We have a really great team of 25 passionate individuals. For Ignite, uh, same process. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, everywhere I think for Ignite. So. Yeah, feel free to get in contact. I'm always happy to answer questions and take people on board if they're interested.
1: What about uh, LinkedIn? Are you on LinkedIn as well?
0: (laughs) Yeah, I used to have LinkedIn, but I, I did delete it because I find it's obviously like my opinion. I think it's an extremely valuable thing, but the things that I'm doing on a daily basis aren't related to a lot of the things that other people are doing. And they're extremely long term and difficult projects. So I find that if I'm constantly looking at what other people are doing, it can sometimes demotivate me heavily. I'm more of a fan and I understand that networking is extremely important, which I try my best to do. But I find that at this current point in time, I prefer just to focus on what I'm doing, get those things done, and I'll be sure to re-download it in the future, I think.
1: <laughs> in fact, um, again, pretty, pretty impressive story, yours. And it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast. You're a true inspiration. As I said, a powerhouse. Thanks so much for sharing some of your story with us, Jack. I really appreciate it.
0: Yeah. No, thanks for having me on and thanks, everyone, for listening.
1: Well, I hope everybody listening has enjoyed hearing some of Jack's story today. And until next week, please remember, be kind because together we make a difference. I hope you enjoyed today's interview as much as I have. We would love you to subscribe to our podcast so that you won't miss an episode. Join us each week as we talk with ordinary Australians achieving extraordinary things. Did you know that Awards Australia is a family-owned business that proudly makes a difference in the lives of those that make a difference for others? And we thank our corporate and not-for-profit partners for making our award programs possible. Do you know someone that's making a difference? or maybe your business might like to sponsor an award, contact us through our Instagram page, inspirational.australians, or head to our website, awardsaustralia.com. It would be great if you could share this episode with your network, because who doesn't like a good news story? And please rate and review us. We would really love to hear your thoughts. Until next week, stay safe, and remember, together we make a difference.
0: Thanks for joining us today on the Inspirational Australians podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening and have been inspired by ordinary Australians achieving
1: extraordinary things. So it's goodbye for another week. Remember, together we make a difference.